Section 12 of A Battle of the Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Battle of the Books by Gail Hamilton. Battle of Gog and Magog, Part 3. After we had all slept upon it and returned to our Moonton next morning, Messrs. Hunt, Perry, and Co. brought in proof to show that I did know that 1,500 books were exempted in the first edition. This was an account in one of their books in which the exemption appeared. But in their copy of the accounts sent to me, drawn up by their clerk for the referees, the latter remarked that no such item appeared. Messrs. Perry and Markman thought it might be the clerk's mistake in copying. The referees asked me if I had my accounts with me as they had been my literature for sixteen months, I was inclined to think I had. The original papers were produced, and no mention was found in them of any exempted copies. Mr. Perry said that, as the item was down in the books, it must have been put there for the purpose of sending to me. Mr. Markman thought this particular account might have been lost in the mail. But the accounts which I held covered all the time of my transactions with Messrs. B. and H., Mr. Perry thought the entry in their books would at least show their good intentions. The second edition of City Lights numbered 500 copies. No edition was so large as the first, except the 11th, which numbered 2,000 copies. Another fact came out, of which I had not before been aware, that 300 copies had been exempted on every book. These, I suppose, had been distributed as advertisements. Regarding the change in payments from percentage to a fixed sum, the firm claimed that it was made with my full knowledge, understanding, and consent, as would be proved by Mr. Hunt's testimony, whereupon Mr. Perry gave place to Mr. Hunt, who deposed and said, or rather to his grief did not depose, but was obliged to content himself with saying, that on a certain time he held a long conversation with me on the subject of the change, in which he fully explained to me its nature and necessity. He remembered that at first I was disposed to be trifling, but he begged that I would be serious, and assured me that this was a serious matter. He remembered using the expression that their house was shaking in the wind. He explained to me over and over again to make sure that I understood the state of affairs and the reasons which necessitated the change, and repeatedly asked me, do you understand this clearly? And I said that I did. And, do you assent to it? And I answered, yes. Then, fastening upon me a look, apparently designed to be penetrating and powerful enough to reach the lowest depths of duplicity, and to wring late confession even from a perjured soul, he exclaimed, I think, M. N., you must remember this. Of course I was overwhelmed with confusion, but having persisted in the falsehood so long, it was hardly worth while to go down on my knees to the gentleman a second time, so I received his gaze in silence. In fact, Mars Hill House witnessed then what the hymn calls the young dawn of heaven below, inasmuch as there was silence in the room for the space of not quite half an hour. It was broken by the referees, who said that it was perhaps proper to ask me here if I remembered any such conversation. I said that I did not recollect it. 
they asked mr hunt if he had any correspondence which referred to it he said no only the letter of mine which i had myself produced in which i admitted it but he remembered it with exact clearness he could recall just the sofa on which he sat he was so confident that he wished he could take his oath on it they asked him whether i happened to be in athens or whether he sent for me he was not sure but thought he sent for me they asked him if in this conversation it was understood that city lights was to be included in the second contract he said distinctly i asked if he could define the time when the conversation occurred he could not but it was some time before the second contract was made and was the basis of that contract i asked if he could tell whether it was in the old shop or the new he said it was in the new he did not add what would have been a most effective peroration to his speech i reside at table mountain and my name is truthful james i am not up to small deceit or any sinful games this little matter being thus comfortably disposed of mr perry again took up the thread of his discourse with regard to the change in payment to authors from a percentage to a fixed sum he said that such a change was desirable because everything was changing and uncertain he reiterated his statement as to the variations that had been made in the retail price of my books said that authors generally did accede to the change admitted that mrs Blank had had some difficulty that her mind seemed to have been jaundiced towards them that her sister miss Blank, had examined their books and that mrs Blank had now become satisfied that all was right that i before the reference neither admitted nor denied that i had acceded to their proposal but only affirmed that i did not recollect about it he denied that there was any prescriptive custom of paying the author ten per cent though as before he objected to bringing in the modes of other publishers as hunt perry and co transacted business on their own account without consulting others which is all very true doubtless yet the prejudiced observer seeing how much is said about the great liberality of this firm can but marvel that they should have been willing to miss so brilliant an opportunity of contrasting their own liberality with the niggardliness of those sordid bookmen who publish not for glory and high m prize but simply to make money mr perry said this also was a reason why the questions propounded to them by mr dane antecedent to the reference seemed irrelevant they were asked to state their income and that from the adriatic but they might make a great deal of money in outside ways by speculating in butter for instance of which it was not pertinent that they should give any account he was asked why if there was no prescribed custom to pay ten per cent they themselves fixed on ten per cent as the rate of payment for city lights he said that they were disposed to be liberal that there were no fluctuations then that such a prescriptive custom may then have existed he would not say that ten per cent was not common though he did not himself know what was the custom among other publishers he was asked why city lights was not by name included in the second contract if its provisions were intended to apply to city lights and why the other works were not also included in a contract he replied that it was because a verbal understanding had been reached 
that if they had supposed or intended any wrong they would certainly have so included it that the absence of contracts was owing to a basis of mutual understanding and verbal agreements he was asked if they had any letters bearing on such verbal agreements and he said they had not he affirmed that the publishers made but insignificant profits on the books compared with mine that up to september seventeen sixty four when the second contract was made when city lights had been two years out and alba dies and rocks of offence had been published and old miasmas was about to be published their net cash profit on the books for these two years had been three hundred dollars here they went into the details of the business with a minuteness altogether beyond my power to comprehend or report the referees and themselves carried on a long discussion about the condition of business in general and their business in particular in seventeen sixty two seventeen sixty four and subsequently the firm foresaw that they should have to advance the retail price of their books everything connected with their business advanced the price and quality of paper the size of books taxes interest stereotype plates pro rata increase press work expenses of business comparative costs of comparative thinness if there is any such thing number of pounds of paper in thin books and thick books discounts to the trade were discussed with apparent intelligence i can give only a few of the mysterious tongues of flames that shot above the level of the luminous and still more mysterious corona it will be seen that this part of my paper is like milton's fatal and perfidious bark in being built in the eclipse as well as rigged with curses dark the stereotype plates of the nine volumes were estimated at three thousand nine hundred and fifty three dollars ninety seven cents paper printing and binding of about seventy two thousand volumes thirty eight thousand four hundred twenty two dollars eight cents advertising in outside mediums one thousand five hundred dollars advertising in their own periodicals five hundred dollars the latter embraced only cost of paper and printing government manufacturing tax five per cent on sales october seventeen sixty four to july seventeen sixty six one thousand eight hundred fourteen dollars four cents seven per cent interest on stereotype plates nine hundred ninety one dollars forty six cents expenses of doing business ten per cent on sales seven thousand sixty one dollars fourteen cents the latter included rent insurance clerk hire packing store expenses business risks and losses taxes on business property except income tax etc reckoning up the sums expended they proved beyond doubt if there be truth in figures that their profits were not quite seven-tenths as large as those of the opulent and insatiable author who in spite of all this inequality was clamoring for more but they admitted that though their expenses had been out of all proportion to their profits since the rise in prices their profits had lately been some larger than before with all due respect to messrs hunt perry and co i must still avow that these estimates are entirely valueless what would have been of value was their cost book 
which would have showed what they actually did pay this i asked for but it was not produced they simply made an estimate they brought forward not a single voucher they reckoned the item of advertising at two thousand dollars but they produced not a paper to show that they had paid anything this advertising extended over several years and embraced advertisements of nine books whether they counted in the three hundred volumes reserved on each book whether they counted in the advertisements of every book advertised and issued simultaneously with mine on what basis they did calculate or what sums they did pay i have no means of knowing except their assertion in the same way they make their estimate of the cost of paper and press work but that it is anything more than an estimate that it represents the actual sum which they paid to printers and binders there is no proof from the fact that i asked for their cost book and that it was not produced i infer that it does not represent that sum notwithstanding the laudable accuracy involved in the eight cents again having set down a certain sum for the cost of the stereotype plates for the interest of that money for the paper and press work for the advertising and taxes they bring in a grand finale for the expenses of doing business that is having charged once for the items specifically they lump them together and charge for them all over again abstractly for what is the advertising and the taxes but a part of the expenses of doing business why could not everything except the raw material of the book be classed under the head of doing business what is there to a book but the book itself and the publication of it and why again should interest be charged on the sum paid for stereotype plates any more than for that paid to the printer and binder since the reference i have showed their statement to several publishers and i am assured that any person whose correct accounts should stand thus is unfit for the business and that the profit on those books is from four to five times as much as messrs hunt perry and co represent it but even supposing all these figures to be correct it will at once be seen that the publishers set off their own net profits against the author's gross receipts having charged for every item of their own expense in producing the book and for some of them twice over they make no allowance whatever for the author's having been at any expense in his part of the production what the publisher gets after every expense is paid is set over against what the author gets to pay every expense with but the publisher's profits according to their showing are only about one-tenth of his gross receipts what then is the author's share of what may truly be termed profits or is the author's share in the production of the book to be considered as of no pecuniary value the remainder of the case as presented by messrs hunt perry and co will appear to the best of my ability in the written reply presented to the referees and here subjoined it must not be forgotten that one is always liable to misrepresent an opponent's case i labor under the additional disadvantage of possessing a natural aptitude for conspicuous inexactness perfected by long practice this innate depravity is however held in check at the present crisis by the consciousness that i am reporting what took place in the presence of five persons of whom three were on the other side and two on neither side 
so that any lapse from truth would be speedily detected with such vigor does providence barricade our weaker virtues introduction this introduction will doubtless induce in the reader a despair akin to that felt by a sleepy worshipper on a warm sunday afternoon when nearing as he supposes the close of the discourse the preacher turns over a new leaf and announces secondly introduction before proceeding to the subject matter of the controversy will the referees permit me to apologize for appearing before them to present the case myself nothing was further from my intention until the evening before the reference i did not mean to be present at all and i then consented to be in the room only at mr dane's urgent solicitation i wished a full clear and exhaustive discussion i knew that i was not able to enter into it myself i have steadfastly refused to attempt it even in private with mrs hunt and perry because i knew that i was so ignorant of the details of business that such a discussion would be fruitless how much less then should i have attempted it before two gentlemen of the character and ability of the referees appealed to for a formal and final decision the paper already presented to the referees was prepared originally for my own convenience and was subsequently put into mr dane's hands for his exact understanding of the matter it was not designed for the referees it contained much irrelevant matter and my only excuse for offering it is the embarrassment and perplexity in which i suddenly found myself involved and from which this seemed the only way of escape the same circumstances must be my apology to mr hunt for certain letters which appeared in that statement they were placed there only for the sake of a few lines which were in them these extracts were all that were designed to be read but in the confusion of the moment i was entirely unable to make any separation or distinction i mention this not because the letters contained anything discreditable to mr hunt for they did not but because i would wish to avoid even the appearance of unnecessarily giving private letters to the semi-publicity of arbitration footnote these letters do not appear in this publication and footnote for the paper which i now present i must also beg the indulgence of the referees i have done the best i could do under the circumstances but i know that it must seem to them redundant deficient unsystematic and perhaps inadequate i can only assure them that had i thought it possible i should be forced to conduct the case myself i should never have appealed to arbitration i beg to thank the referees most sincerely for their unvarying kindness and forbearance subject matter of the controversy i claim what is justly due for copyright on eight works namely city lights alba dies rocks of offence old miasmas pencilings holidays cotton picking winter work published by messrs brummel and hunt since hunt perry and co were there no contracts the author's share should i suppose be determined by the usage of publishers and authors as to similar works with similar sales for four of these books there is no contract on the first book city lights 
there is a written contract at ten per cent on the retail price after the first edition is sold this price was fixed voluntarily by the publishers without suggestion from or consultation with me and must be considered as expressing their idea of what was fair and usual under ordinary circumstances even with a new author this contract has never been rescinded messrs hunt perry and co claim that it has been rescinded no one can be called upon to prove a negative to prove that the contract exists i produce the contract to prove that the rescission exists i demand that they produce the rescission this they have utterly failed to do mr hunt simply asserts a verbal agreement which i deny a verbal agreement between two parties which one party stoutly maintains and the other flatly denies is i submit an agreement more suited to the latitude and longitude of dublin than of athens a verbal agreement which on examination proves to be an utter and absolute disagreement cannot cancel a written contract they not only attempt to rescind the first contract but to substitute another for it by including city lights in the second contract but city lights is not named in the second contract they do not even pretend that they intend to name it there they simply assert a conversation in which both parties agreed that the first contract still existing they would act as if it did not exist and that city lights not being inserted in the second contract both parties should act as if it were so inserted i beg to inquire if there is anything in the union as it was or the constitution as it is that could make such a procedure reasonable is it credible that a shrewd business firm should rely on a verbal agreement to cancel a written one and leave the latter uncancelled in the possession of the other party dyes alba rocks of offence and old miasmas were published at different periods subsequent to the publication of city lights they are all embraced in one contract which bears date september twenty four seventeen sixty four this contract is not at ten per cent on the retail price but at fifteen cents a volume on all volumes sold this contract i claim to be invalid because it was obtained from me under false representations and because it is not equitable mr hunt asserts that before entering into this contract and as a basis of this contract he had a long conversation with me in which he fully showed me the reason of the proposed change from ten per cent to fifteen cents on a volume his recollection of this conversation is so vivid that he even recalls the sofa on which he sat he thinks he sent for me but is not quite sure he remembers that i was disposed at first to be trifling but he begged me to be serious and assured me that this was a serious matter he remembers using the expression that their house was shaking in the wind he says he explained to me over and over again the state of affairs and the reasons which necessitated the change and repeatedly asked me do you understand this clearly and i answered that i did and do you agree to it and i said yes he is so positive in his assurance that he expresses the wish that he could take his oath on it the referees ask him if in that conversation city lights was included among the other books and he replies 
distinctly then in face of my repeated written and verbal assertions to him that i had no recollection of any such conversation he fixes his eyes upon me and says with emphasis i think m n you must remember this i have already stated to the referees that i had no recollection of any such conversation or of any verbal agreement i was willing to attribute the assertion to a mistaken impression on the part of mr hunt now after his positive persistent and circumstantial assertion i go further i deny his assertion in part and in whole in every point and particular i deny it not simply as a mistaken impression but i deny it as a question of veracity between mr hunt and myself as i have said before i cannot be called upon to prove a negative the burden of proof lies on mr hunt who asserts the positive he admits that he has no correspondence to show it but affirms that i admit it myself in one of my early letters by saying i dare say i did have such a conversation the letter to which he refers is my second letter of inquiry written before my faith in him had been shaken and before the question of such a conversation had assumed any prominence or arrested my attention i had asked him as my letters show why he wanted me to take less than ten per cent he had replied that we had talked it over and i agreed to less i replied that i knew i agreed to it for here were the contracts but why did he wish me to make such contracts my exact words were i don't remember ever talking the things over with you but i dare say i did or rather you talked and i nodded as usual and of course i agreed for here are the contracts that say so don't you see the trouble lies back of the contracts why did you wish me to be having seven or eight per cent when other people are getting ten here it is seen that in the very beginning almost before any suspicion was aroused and before my attention was at all fixed upon the importance of this conversation i first carelessly but distinctly assert that i remember no such talk second i found my recognition of my assent not upon any remembered talk but upon the written contract and third i reiterate my questions concerning what lay back of the contract in entire unconsciousness that the talk had anything to do with it so then the only testimony which mr hunt can produce of a verbal agreement which vitiates one contract and forms the basis of another is a letter of mine in which i distinctly affirm that i don't remember anything about it mr hunt is welcome to all the sunshine he can find in that cucumber again mr hunt cannot fix the time when this explanatory conversation occurred and this verbal agreement was made but it was the basis of a contract which was executed on the twenty fourth september it would naturally therefore be somewhere within speaking distance of that time now in my statement of the case made out on the twenty second october seventeen sixty eight and put into the hands of my friend mr dane a few days after and read before the referees i said i think it must have been at the time this contract was made out but i cannot be sure as to the time 
that mr hunt told me that they were going to pay me a fixed sum fifteen cents on a volume instead of a percentage adopting this course with their authors on account of fluctuations general uncertainties and so forth in the following january my vague recollections were confirmed by finding unexpectedly and without seeking it or knowing that i had it a letter from mr hunt dated september twenty three seventeen sixty four from which i make the following extract the contract has been delayed for a sufficient cause he then gives the cause of the delay namely mr brummel's absence the percentage will read fifteen cents per copy as the business times are fluctuating the prices of manufacture so there is no telling to-morrow or for a new edition what may be the expenses of publication so we reckon your percentage in every and any event as fixed at fifteen cents per volume on all your books if it should cost a dollar fifty to make the volumes you are sure of your author profit of fifteen cents the price at retail may be one fifty two dollars or three dollars as the high or low rates of paper binding etc may be but you are all right this arrangement we make now with all our authors as i write the contracts are reported ready so i enclose them sign both and send back the one marked with red x you keep one and we the other i submit that this extract bearing date the day before the contract has every sign of being fresh information all the circumstances combine with my own distinct recollection apart from them to show that a new contract was made at my suggestion not with any view whatever of changing the terms but because i thought if a contract was necessary with one book it was with another i did not know that there had been or was to be any change from percentage to a fixed sum until this letter told me the retail price of the books had gone up to a dollar fifty so that ten per cent and fifteen cents were the same in this letter no allusion whatever is made to any previous conversation on the subject of the change from percentage to a fixed sum is it credible i ask that mr hunt should have sent for me should have assured me that this was a very serious matter should have explained it all to me over and over again should have repeatedly asked me if i understood it should remember the conversation five years after so vividly that the intensity of his convictions cannot find adequate expression in simple declaration but craves the relief of an oath is it credible that in his letter of the period he should have made no allusion to this conversation but should have mentioned the arrangement as then communicated to me for the first time as it actually was but further than this my diary for seventeen sixty four carefully kept with not a day missing shows that during the whole summer and autumn preceding the twenty third september seventeen sixty four i was not once in athens and yet again i set on foot an inquiry at the time but did not get an answer in season to use it before the reference mr hunt distinctly remembered that he sat on a certain sofa in the new shop during the conversation which was the basis of the contract of september seventeen sixty four but the firm did not move into the new shop till may seventeen sixty five now if mr hunt should gratify himself with the wished-for oath 
i am sure that the accusing angel who flies up to heaven's chancery with it will blush as he gives it in and the recording angel as he writes it down will drop a tear upon the word and blot it out for ever but it may be urged giving up the conversation and relying only on the letter that in any event i accepted and assented to the new contract with a full understanding of its meaning and effect and am hence bound by it this i deny the law always scrutinizes transactions between parties in confidential relations as father and son guardian and ward attorney and client husband and wife and demands the utmost frankness and fullest disclosure of circumstances allows no concealments and sets aside all contracts where any advantage is gained by reason of the confidence reposed it recognizes the influence of superior position and the right to trust in the party occupying it and demands the strictest honor on his part i think my position with my publishers comes within the scope of this principle in respect of the matters involved in this contract were we or could we be equal they were practiced business men living in the city with full knowledge of all the details of their affairs it was their business to manage the external material parts of books i was living in the country with no knowledge of these affairs and as i supposed no need and no means of acquiring it it was my part to attend to the interior and intangible souls of books i could not look into their business without neglecting my own as indeed i have been forced to do for sixteen months past and as i should do with equal pertinacity for sixteen years were it necessary i never sent for my accounts except when i wanted money and wished not to overdraw when they came i scarcely did more than glance at the footing to ascertain what was due me nor do i now see of what use it would have been to examine them ever so minutely i was proceeding entirely on a basis of confidence which i think i had a clear right to assume and which was complete and unimpaired until the date mentioned in my first paper when i awoke to the fact that i was not receiving what i had seemed to be entitled to and what on the closest scrutiny i believe to be my legal and equitable dues such being the relation of the parties let us examine for a moment that is a pulpit fiction i mean for a good many moments the inducements held out to me by my publishers as they are found in this letter i maintain that the proposed change from percentage to a fixed sum is so mentioned as directly i do not say intentionally to mislead me it is held up as an arrangement peculiarly to my advantage as guaranteeing me in any event against a loss to which i might otherwise be exposed and as securing me my profits by some stronger safeguard than i had before possessed but whereas i was blind i now see that it guarantees me against no loss and the only safeguard it presents is a safeguard against any benefit which might accrue to me from the rise in prices mr hunt says if it should cost a dollar fifty to make the volumes you are sure of your author profits of fifteen cents as if i should not have been just as sure of them had i received percentage the price at retail may be a dollar fifty two dollars or three dollars 
as the high or low rates of paper binding etc may be but you are all right whereas i was all wrong for if i had kept to a percentage and the retail price had become three dollars i should have thirty cents instead of fifteen it was almost immediately after this contract that the retail price of all my books went up to two dollars and has remained so ever since this was a fact which my publishers had the means to foresee but which i could not and did not anticipate or even conjecture the absolute identity of ten per cent and a fixed sum at the time of the new contract together with their representations of its superior advantage to me and my confidence in them all combined to deceive me i should have adopted the same reasoning and drawn the same inference if a year earlier i had been asked to change the ten per cent to twelve and a half cents which at that time amounted to precisely the same thing had i been distinctly told that my books were largely to advance in price but that all the profit of the advance was to accrue to the publishers and none of it to me should i have consented to such an arrangement the referees and my publishers in discussing these matters plunged into an abyss of figures into which i cannot attempt to follow them i do not even understand the jargon i trust they will pardon the term in which they appeared to be communicating ideas i had provided myself with a friend who was i believed fully competent to dive as deep as the best of them but i was not allowed to retain him and i could only sit in despair on the brink of the gulf and stare at the spectacle from the few intelligible sounds that did reach me i infer that the sacrifices of publishers in behalf of authors have never been fully appreciated i felt that in claiming ten per cent i was guilty of an extortion second only to that of david copperfield in suggesting to mr dolloby eighteen pence as the price of this here little waistcoat. i should rob my family says mr dolloby if i was to offer ninepence for it it is gratifying to recollect that the last winter was a mild one so that the cases of extreme suffering must have been rare were it not for an occasional glimpse at our impertinent income returns one would be inconsolable as it is would the referees count it as bringing in new facts if i should send one or two postage stamps to the retired clergyman whose sands of life have nearly run out and beg a receipt for returning an income of fifty thousand dollars on a biannual cash profit of three hundred dollars but though i cannot bring up a fact from the bottom of the sea i can see a fact when it stares me in the face on land if there was any reason except uncovenanted mercies for advancing my copyright from twelve and a half cents to fifteen when the books went from a dollar twenty-five to a dollar fifty it must have applied with equal force to advancing my copyright from fifteen to twenty cents when the books advanced from a dollar fifty to two dollars i deny that the increased cost of doing business should be reckoned solely on the side of the publisher as the justification of his receipts and profits while the author should be held down to the same fixed sum the same causes that increased the cost of doing business to messrs brummel and hunt as publishers increased in quite as large a ratio the cost of my doing business as an author 
every conceivable form of expenditure to which i was subjected was all the time increasing and i was as much in need of a pro rata increase of receipts from my books as the publishers could be but messrs brummel and hunt take the opposite ground and maintain that no matter what the added expenditure of the author may necessarily become only a fixed sum shall be allowed to meet it while the vast increase of receipts and of profits shall be absorbed by the publisher alone if this be justice equity or law i think we would better stop hammering on the jubilee house and begin back again at the ten commandments footnote the jubilee house seems to be a reference to the institution of the jubilee year among the hebrews a year in which impoverished families might redeem the property from which at any time during fifty years previously they had been forced to part thus we are told that if a man purchased of the levites the house that was sold should go out in the year of jubilee such a house might long be known in the neighbourhood as the jubilee house the hammering spoken of was probably connected with the repairing of some such lately redeemed house and seems to point to an eastern origin and locality for this narrative note by editor End footnote. but though i was not able to follow my publishers through the technics and tactics of their business there were two ways in which i might have formed and presented some opinion of the justice of their course had i been allowed i would have called in other publishers and have asked them what would be a fair price for books with the character dress and sales of mine i do not see that there could be any unfairness in this they surely would not be likely to decide unjustly against their own craft and they surely would be able to give an intelligent answer from the inquiries which mr dane has made among other publishers I believe that the sum which Messrs. Brummel and Hunt allege that they have made on all my books represents much more nearly the profits which they made on a single one of them, City Lights, and that the profits which accrued to themselves from the rise in the prices of books are much larger than they represent them. End of section 12